Okay, so I promised I wasn't going to do music. Um, what can I say? This is my, this is, you can call this the Andy Lopez show, okay? And I'll just, I'll be the host, and every week you're going to get something, who knows what you're going to get. If you're lucky, I'll talk to you about gardening. Fortunately, today is Earth Day special, tomorrow Earth Day. So I'm sticking to Earth Day stuff, okay? I just wrote this about five minutes ago before the show, just for this show. So listen, this is what's going on. What are you putting into your soil? How are you dealing with garden pests and diseases? You know, conventional horticulture assaults the earth with pesticides and chemicals sucking essential nutrients from the soil with each harvest. Organic gardening offers a healthier, more productive, or more sustainable alternative. Uh, so today I'm doing a Earth Day special, and I'm gonna basically go over almost everything that I know with you. I'm going to teach you the importance of having a living soil. I'm trying to have the music in the background, just in the background, right? Just in the background there. I think that might be good, right, Mr. Engineer? Is that enough in the background? I don't want too much in the background. I want just enough to where they can barely hear it. What do you say? He's not saying anything. He's keeping it quiet. Maybe I'll put it up a little bit. I don't know. How about how about that? So today I'm going to talk to you about the soil. I'm going to cover. Uh, well, what should I say by today is this is an ongoing thing. Okay, it's like I, you know, I never really finished in one show everything. Okay, <laughs> so but these are the things we're going to be covering. I'm going to try to get it done. Um, a lot of it today to a certain degree. So, you know, I'm going to talk to you about natural disease control using a refractometer and how to get a, a brick reading. Do you know what a refractometer is or BRICS? B R I X? Google it while I'm talking. Uh, I'll let you know what how brick is and how to use it in your garden, how to use it in uh, disease control, how to use it in uh, with the roses, how to use it in the, on, the, on the trees. Uh, it's all the same. And I'm going to talk, we're going to talk to you about. I'm going to talk to you about compost. I'm also going to have a special compost day coming up. I'm going to invite various different people in the business who make compost or associated with compost, which is different than the soil, okay? Uh, and um, then I'm also going to be covering um, what I uh, what I like to say is uh, uh, the greater the stress, the greater the pest. And explain that to you. That's, that's natural pest control. I can I have these sayings. I don't know if I invented them or heard them somewhere. The greater the stress, the greater the pest. But it's true. You should say the greater the pest and the disease. And then I'll try to talk to you a little bit organic about organic lawn care, natural weed control. I'll talk to you a little bit about natural spraying methods. Uh, I'll, show, I'll go over a little bit of how to help you reduce your garden water needs. Uh, I'm definitely going to be talking to you about mycelium. What it, what she does, what it is, and what's it all about there, and I'm also going to be covering rock dust, and try to explain to you a little bit about rock dust, what it is and what it isn't. Uh, I myself use rock dust. I've been using it since before the uh, earth was uh, hard, or as soon as it became, uh, you know, from lava and gases, and I started using the rocks. <laughs> yeah, that goes back. So uh, what do I do here? Oh. So what I want to do before we do that is to go over. Okay, right. So fine. I'm just going to go ahead. See, now I started listening to the music. I'm going. No, I'm not going to listen to the music. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to because of Earth Day, and uh, I'm going to cover uh, two articles. There's a whole bunch of articles. I, I write a column on a weekly basis. I've been doing it for years. Um, the column ends up usually being a show, uh, and um, uh, I just pull them out of my files. So basically, I'm going to go over before I start 
doing the uh, gardening. This is his part of the gardening, but because it is Earth Day and it is my Earth Day special, and it is my my show. I'm going to do this one on seven ways to kill all living beings on Earth within 50 years. It was a hundred years, but I'm an optimist. And then I'm going to cover um, what GMOs are good and what GMOs are bad. Uh, which one do you want me to do first? Uh, uh, this one over here, raise your left hand if you want me to do the seven ways to kill all living beings, right? Or raise your right hand if you want to do what GMOs are good and what GMOs are bad. Oh, cool. All right. So then I'll do the uh, what GMOs are good and what GMOs are bad. Uh, but before I, I do that, I want to uh, let's see what I do with that. Tell everybody that uh, the contest is a contest going on. Uh, the first caller who calls me will get my color version of my book, which is a hundred dollars. Don't ask me why it's a hundred bucks. Well, it's a hundred bucks because it costs forty bucks to print it. It's a color version of it, and it's a eleven and a half by eight. It's a big giant thing. The black and white version I'm selling for twenty bucks. See, uh, but the color version. I have a limited number of printing that I did on that specifically. Uh, I, I currently have three of them that are signed. The rest of them are gone already by myself and my daughter. My daughter in law, she did the artwork. Then I have to order some more. But they're basically they're being sold in this. Right now, Amazon has it for $51 on special, but it's 100 bucks. but it's supposed to go for us. So you can get that, and you can get the black version of it. The Black version, tear it up, do whatever you want to do, write out, but the other version just sort of pull away, you come up and, pull, and pass it on to your children. <laughs> I'm not kidding, okay? <coughs> and so the, uh, I have to give you the uh, the numbers, okay? So um, the call number, oh, first of all, let's see, um, I didn't, I, I, I messed up already, see, because I'm supposed to, I, I, what I need to do is, Mr. Engineer, you need to tell me, I think it's a BB, let me see if I get it right, BBS Radio PR, I think that is the uh, the um, Skype uh, name you use, or uh, the Skype, I have the, uh, I don't have the Skype number in this, in my paper here, I have the, uh, 888-627-6008. I think that's maybe the also the Skype number. Skype number. Yeah. And then there's a direct line, 323-744-8831. I don't think it would do you any good to dial me on my Skype number, unless it channels it into here. I don't know. If that, that's it is, I don't know what my Skype number is. But basically... Um, I think I've given out the number so that you can be a part of it. If you want to call and talk to me, you can ask questions. Uh, I'm open to pretty much anything as long as it has to. I don't do marital problems and I don't do uh, religion and politics. Uh, I don't do electrical problems or plumbing or. <laughs> anyway, that's the number you would call. Uh, I can't tell if, if uh, I'm on the. Uh, Mr. Engineer, are you there? I'm going to write hello. Maybe what he went out, you know, feed the cows or something. <laughs> you know how it is, folks. You live in paradise. What's, what's there to do, right? You go out, you have a, you have all your animals living in paradise. That's what I would do. I have chicken and cow. Not that I'm going to eat them, but I would love to have them just sort of live around me, birds, you know, probably not elephants, even though I do like elephants. Okay, so let me go over the... The, what GMOs are good and what GMOs are bad. Uh, I've been writing about it since I've been, uh, well, I've been doing my radio shows in the 70s, and I already knew about it somewhere in the, oh, definitely the mid-80s. That's what was going on. Uh, I came I came to Malibu, California, 84, and I started, I was already doing a radio show before I moved there. So somewhere along the, that time period, I was already hip to what's going on here, so to speak. Yep. Anyway, the point here is that uh, the article, the column I wrote, starts off by saying genetically engineered organisms and genetically modified organisms are not the same things. Actually, they are, if you you don't mind, little white lies, you know, um, you know, because, and let me explain. So it's just like saying an elephant is like, oh, an ear, you know, or an elephant is like a, a, tr a trunk or a tail. They're technically right, but not entirely correct, right? The elephant is 
all the sum of his parts together. An elephant has, has ears and tail, right? So that's the problem that we have here going on with this labeling thing. And I'm not going to read it, except there's some parts that I, I, I will read when I, get, when I get to it. Let me see if I have it, uh, I have it in here. Because, uh, you know, I, 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 uh, in terms of writing down a column, you have to thorough think about it and, and write it in a cohesive way so people can follow it. But basically what it comes down to is really simple. It's simple that genetically modified organisms, uh, under, there's three different classifications of genetically modified organisms, see? That's just a term, you know, um, it's in the, uh, I, I'm reading, I, I, I don't read for myself, I just use as a guideline to talk, but uh, did you know that we are all genetically modified organisms? You and I are genetically modified organisms. You are not the same as your mom and dad. You're not a clone. As a matter of fact, in nature, the only time you get a, 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 something that's not genetically modified is a clone. When you clone something, you have the same genetics. But if you are, if you have seeds, uh, as a farmer and a gardener, for example, uh, I grow I grow everything really well. <laughs> but uh, you know, if, for example, if you were growing tomatoes and uh, one particular variety or one particular batch, you say you grow 10 tomatoes, and that one tomato plant right there, everybody was going to and say, holy cow, look at, taste this tomato. Wow, wow, wow. You would do, I would take that tomato and take the seeds from that and tend to grow that again. And then next year, so I'll come along and say, wow, that. So I would do, I'd be doing genetic modification. I would do that throughout my whole garden. So eventually, these are all genetically modified. That's one of the basis of how you can take something growing in another part of the world, bring it over to this part of the world, grow it, take the seeds, plant that. That seeds will be more susceptible, more receptive to the environment than the previous seeds. See that you do it. You're doing the genetic modification. See. So the whole thing here is that. Um, What people need to understand is that how they're they're broken up into diff these different classifications, and then what's happening is is that um, people, uh, if you take them to court, they have one or few cases say, "See, there's nothing wrong with genetically modified organisms," you know, because we've been doing it for a long time. You don't have to tell the judge that it's broken up into other other uh, categories, and and that what we really need to be worried about is genetically engineered organisms. And I'll tell you what the categories are myself, okay? Let me just put this little. Okay, so we got a little bit of music. <laughs> and we bring it down a little bit. Okay, so what we have is three categories that genetically modified organisms fall into place. The first category is what I just described to you, is how you can grow something and get it better and better simply by taking the seeds or the best one or the best you know, uh, variety that you like and grow that one over and you get really good at growing that and you have, and you have been doing genetic modification. Farmers and gardeners have been doing that throughout the centuries, okay? And it's, you know, some are done on purpose. You know, I myself have taken, you know, varieties of plants, you know, where I have a whole bunch of corns, for example. One year I did, uh, I got, I, I discovered what, how you can paint pollen. So you take a paintbrush and you can, you can be the bird or the bee, you know, the bee to pollinate. So you can take, you can have three or four different varieties of corn growing together. Sometimes they'll pollinate themselves. You know, if you plant them together, like a yellow corn and some, ideally you want to plant all edible. I did that mistake one year and I planted, you know, red corn and yellow corn and so forth. But some of the corn that was red is not edible. Oh, ornamental corn. You don't want to do that because then you have this corn is some is edible, some is not. <laughs> it's really weird looking. You say, maybe I can eat parts of it. So you want to have all edible types to grow, but you can also really help it to pollinate if you like a specific, so when you're growing the edible kind and you have a, a certain type of sweet corn and you want to uh, pollinate with some other corn, you can take the paintbrush, you go over and you paint them and you cross-pollinate them yourself. 
You don't even have to be naked, even though I prefer. You know, you guys, you have to get into it, and you paint, go around and paint them. So that is uh, the one category, and that's you no. Know, interesting enough, that's just that is just still called uh, genetically modified. Uh, it, but the 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 second cat the category, right? The second category is um, called R. Uh, it's called well the first category actually is called our DNA okay that's when you take the DNAs and they, that's what it means by pollen and it's and basically you take the DNA that has been altered by joining of two or more different types of genes okay uh, and the, the uh, that this one here is the one we're talking about in terms of the uh, that where that's where you get uh, well wait a second so uh, boy Let's see. So the first variety is what I was talking about, right? And how you get the the different, um, the best arugula or the best squash or whatever you know to grow, right? Okay. So the the second variety uh, is where you take uh, where the uh, uh, you take the. This is what we talk. What I talk about is called genetically engineered GMO. This is a GMO that's been genetically engineered. So this the first way is where you take it and you do. Pretty much naturally. Uh, that's normally happens in nature, but you can learn how to plant different things together or cross pollinate between the two of them. That's, but the second uh, second category is called genetically engineered, and and these uh, here fall into separate uh, subcategories, right? And the first subcategory is the one you are most common with. And that's called our DNA, and that's. Where you take the DNA of uh, uh, you take the DNA that has been altered by joining, you end up with an altered DNA that was joined by two different types of genes. Okay, so if you have uh, BT Roundup, uh, BT ready corn or Roundup ready corn, right? Uh, so you take basically you take the 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 gene and you add. In this case, it's not even a, a DNA. If you add up, if you add Roundup, Roundup is a chemical, so you can add that too. So it basically, it's an altered DNA that you have. Uh, the second type is, is called uh, uh, protoplast, and that's basically where. Um, uh, well, let's see now. So the uh, the the second one here is basically. What you can take two different types of cells and join them together. This is how what we do it in nature. Okay, so that's the two of them there. So the third one is where we have radiation-induced mutation, basically you exposed it to uh, radiation and the, the mutated D, uh, DNAs which you got. So what we uh, need to be worried about is all of the three subcategories of the of the GEO. Okay, that's where the danger really really lies. Uh, it's it's perfectly fine, uh, and one of the things is that if it was depends on who's running it. So if you have a company that's running it for the benefit of the company, you know it's not going to be necessary for the benefit of human beings and plants and life on Earth as we know it. But because right now we're going through this climate change, and uh, if I have time, I will be talk. I'll be happy to go over with you a little bit more about. Um, uh, Climate, uh, global warming, and the uh, uh, ice age, uh, the global freezing, as we say, global global cooling. Uh, but ideally, this is, uh, in my opinion, this is a, a technology that should not be in the hands of a company, but should be hand, in the hands of uh, of uh, scientists, so that they can develop fast, better products. Uh, crops that can handle the current change because normally you don't you know if you had 10 years 20 years 30 years to grow corn and vegetables that can handle climate change you know uh, hotter temperatures drier environment um, if you had that time then you could you do you could you would do that but you don't you really don't even have uh, 20 30 years in terms of actual growing stuff and uh, coming up with varieties that can handle the heat because the heat's already changing faster than they, they will be able to evolve and you'll be able to grow. Um, here's where this technology comes into play that here's where you can take instead of Roundup, you can you can modify the corn uh, to grow uh, under drier environments, to dry to grow under less water, to produce more food to need, right? Uh, without uh, it being toxic uh, to the to plants because that's what's happening with the Roundup. Uh, 
uh, if you had to, if you, if one of my shows, I had uh, Gillian on, uh, and she did, um, uh, I, I think Gillian Carey, Carey Gillian, that was her name, and she did um, uh, Whitewater, and it's all about uh, Monsanto and GMO and uh, and uh, all that, and you should read it because it's exactly what I've been talking about uh, forever, and they know exactly what the damage is it does, and uh, but the, uh, you know, especially if you're eating it, <laughs> then if you're exposing yourself to it, it's not good. So uh, okay, so that's basically the what you need to know about GMO. So what you need to do really is you, you need to key into GEO, genetically engineered engineered organisms. My opinion, if you was to go to court now and and, and the judges were to ban GMOs, uh, you can't go to the store and buy stuff because they're GMOs. I understand that GMOs is trying, you're trying to label a specific products and specific technology, which is really genetically engineered that you need to concentrate on, see? It's the same problem we've been having with the term organic and natural. <laughs> because, you know, I, I have a saying, don't panic, it's organic. But, you know, um, t technically, uh, malathion is organic. It's an organic, organic means anything with organic compound in it. So there's lots of chemicals out there that are really bad for... You know, you and I would say we'd never, but that's organic. It's an organic chemical compound. <laughs> so it's like, and that's why uh, when I do my uh, my spraying service and my super seaweed, I used to say, don't panic, it's organic. But now I say, you know, uh, uh, especially for the labels, uh, in terms of the labeling, whether it's an organic product or a natural product, uh, my uh, rock dust is not an organic product. Rock dust is a natural product because it's mined from the earth. It's not an organic product because it has no carbon in it. See? So I use a lot of rock dust in various different forms and stuff, and especially when I add it to my super seaweed, when I use it in my compost or whatever, and especially in my services. So I can't totally legally say 100% organic, which I used, you always used to say, right? Because it isn't. Because it legally... <laughs> or is it legally and technically, or is it not technically? Maybe legally, but not technically. Uh, <laughs> because you know it is it is natural, and it is a and and, and uh, but it, it's really not you know the only reason why we call it organic is because organic gardening took off you know the term organic gardening took off as opposed to natural gardening, which is what I always said right I always said well um, why what's happening it should be natural gardening right it should be natural gardening but it's organic gardening so now organic is Gardening, people think organic gardening, you know, that everything's natural. So it should be, right? It should be identical. It should be the same thing. But there are some some things in there. Uh, for example, um, like um, it's called Super Thrive. It's a vitamin. It comes from it's it's let's see, liquid uh, leftovers from the from the Vitamin Institute because they make uh, vitamins, and what they have leftovers of it's a mess a mixture of vitamins uh, and and minerals mainly vitamins and it's not uh, it can't be using uh, if you're certified organic you can't use it they don't have the OMRI certification because it's not uh, covered I know I buy a variety of other uh, trace mineral sources uh, that are not uh, OMRI approved simply because they are for human consumption and I think if it's good for the body it's good for the body if you know what I'm saying Good for the soil, right? These are just, you know, a variety of trace minerals that your body needs. This is Andy Lopez, and you're listening to Don't Panic, It's Organic. In the background, you're listening to uh, Invisible Gardening, and this particular one is my latest uh, ringtone. It's 30 seconds long.
up to my website and check out my songs. Each of them also comes with a 30-second ringtone. Uh, you'll find I have whole bunches of them. On today's show, um, I'm going to be talking about an article I recently read called uh, No Difference Between Organic Food and Chemically Grown Food. That's actually what it, the title of the article was, Is it is Organic Food Worth It? And the bottom line, they said, no, there's no difference between organic food and chemically grown food. So I'm going to tell you what I think about it. <laughs> you know what I think about it. We'll be right back. I started my business in the sixth grade, doing everything organically, and uh, by the ninth grade I had 150 customers. I developed Don't Panic, It's Organic, somewhere during that time frame. Um, and even then, there was a big argument whether or not organically grown food and conventionally grown food were different other than you know the obvious difference in terms of pesticide use um, you know the damage it does to the environment whether it's pesticides safe or not even though they say it's safe and it's still pretty much going on now and in a recent LA Times article the columnist wrote that there is no difference between organically grown food and conventionally grown food he cites several studies that prove there is no difference between the nutritional levels and he cites doctors and they all say the same thing. Eating conventionally grown produce is not, the only, not only safe but just as nutrition. It is besides the fact that it, is, it is totally ignores environmental issues, health issues of not just the consumer but the workers that pick it as well as the fact that powerful business forces are at work here to keep the public confused, in my opinion. Let's ignore these issues for now and let's take a look at what is wrong with this idea that organic food and conventionally grown food is equal. First off, not every organic farmer knows what they are doing, just like not everyone that makes compost knows what they are doing. You are, you are only as good a gardener farmer, as the compost you make. Not all composts are equal, just like not all organic farmers are equal. Some are actual organic farmers while others are in name only. Many farmers have decided to go organic because they will then be able to sell their products for more if, but more. But if I were to ask them just one question and if they failed that question then they would not only they would not only the same have not, they would not only have the same problems as the conventionally grown, but their produce, their food, their product would not be any more nutritional than them, especially if, if the conventional farmer either does not make or use compost, but also does not apply rock dust. You know, I talk a lot about rock dust, I talk a lot about compost. There's a basic law of nature that says you get out what you put in. You want trace minerals, then you put that into the soil. However, you cannot just throw rock dust everywhere and expect the minerals to then become available to the plants. Even rock dust, all rock dust are not the same. Some are rich in calcium, but low in iron. Others are higher in other minerals. It all depends from what part of the world and how it was made that determines what minerals it has. Okay, so the article, as well as the studies, do not even mention soil depletion. I wonder why. If your soil is depleted of minerals, then the produce growing on it will also be depleted in minerals. 
I'm not making this stuff up. There is a key to this problem, okay? In the article, which mentions taste, the lady says, I like it because it tastes better. The better the taste, the more minerals it has, i.e., sea bricks levels versus mineral uh, articles that I wrote. Taste tells us we should eat it or not. We have developed over the years to eat what is sweet, what tastes sweet, and not what tastes bitter. Pests have developed along the same lines, except that nature in her wisdom made it such that when a plant has high bricks, it would all have a high sugar level, which in turn means higher minerals, which in turn means higher complex carbohydrates. Insects, by the way, and you're thinking, wait a minute, sugar, ants, they like that, insects like that. Here's the key to it, is the difference between complex carbohydrates and simple carbohydrates, okay? So yeah, they're going to have higher, uh, they may have a higher, more sugar level for right food for the insects because it will be simple carbohydrates, but not if, you, if it was rich in minerals, which would then make it complex carbohydrates and the in insects cannot eat that and they would die. So no insects, no pests. So remember, high nitrogen fertilizer is bad because they make the plants grow fast. They're weak and deficient in the minerals. Okay? So when I started my business back in 1956, I heard the same from the forces that chemical and organic produce are equal in nutritional value. What's a little pesticide? That has not changed over the many years. You really want to know, then I would test, I would, what I would do is I would, you know, have a, a controlled test. Uh, I would actually get a real organic farmer that knows what they're doing, a conventional farmer that supposedly knows what they're doing. I wouldn't worry about getting a neutral. I mean, it's nobody that, somebody didn't know what they were doing because, yeah, you're not going to get the results from anything. But I would get those two folks actually have them grow it. One of the problems with these surveys is really a survey of a survey. The latest survey that this article refers to is really a survey of all the surveys. They took, took 300 surveys, put them together, and, and did the survey of the surveys. You look at the at all the surveys, and very few, if any, have actually gone through the process of growing everything up and stuff, growing it organically over here, and growing it chemically over here. And even then, who are they to know? Are they good farmers? Are they actual far Is there any one of them in the survey an actual organic farmer? Or I should say, are they just saying, doesn't make any difference. You just grow organically over here. How are you growing organically? Well, we're not using any pesticides. And we went on and got some organic fertilizer and put that down. So you know what I'm saying? It's like, so you have to have a skilled organic farmer that knows what they're doing. I would try one of the, uh, of the Rodale group, right? Or the Death Smith Valley. It's 40 acres organic have been grown for years. Or the Biodynamic Institute, you know? <laughs> any of these folks, the Permaculture Institute, We'll, we'll be happy to show you how to do it right. And, and, and you know, there's another word that, that wasn't even mentioned in the article, and that's sustainability. You know what sustainability is? Right? <laughs> okay, so, you know, here we have a chemically grown, conventionally grown uh, produce, and, at the, and if they don't put the rock dust in the mineral, then that soil is going to be depleted more and more every year, so, and they're not going to get, they may get something that looks like produce, but there's nothing in there. And you can't tell me that that's the same as when you do an organic, a real organic farmer, which you are constantly building a soil, building a soil, working on it, get it so it's sustainable. I mean, every year it gets better and better and better and better. And yeah, you, and you have the mineral contents are constantly high and there, and you can't tell me that's not going to be this, that's going to be the same. So I, I rest my case. <laughs>
There are a couple other ways. But these are two ways it comes up the bat right off the bat without doing anything to the soil. So let's just say you were growing um, tomato plants and they're, they were diseased. And you're correct in, 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 wonder, in saying that it's in the soil because all diseases start in the soil. So uh, let's just say you had tomato plants and they were diseased. Not a good idea to grow tomato plants next year in the same, uh, you know, soil. You would, you, I would grow something completely different. So I could, you can do um, corn. You can do um, all different kinds of greens, mustard greens. You can grow herbs. Uh, so there are lots of other things you can grow that won't be affected by the, to the tomato dis by the disease in the soil. Okay, so that's one way to do it. And the other way is, and you don't really mention here if you have a raised bed or in the soil. Uh, that's one of the reasons why you want to do a raised bed. Uh, you can control the soil a lot better than in the ground. So if you had a raised bed, you normally you probably wouldn't be having the, t the disease problem if you did it right. If you were to um, amend the soil properly and the soil was alive with all the different natural bacteria, it was, uh, had all the microbiological activity, a diverse uh, uh, microbiological life in the soil. I have a saying, the good guys and the bad guys don't live in the same place. So that, that, that would not give it an opportunity for that disease to ha happen. And on top of that, uh, there are things, other things you can't do in the raised bed that you can't really do in the soil, in the ground. One of them would be soil rotation. So in the raised bed, you can, of course, you know, grow different things. And so you have four or five different raised beds, and you rotate through the, the raised beds growing different things. So if you grow tomato in one bed, you grow tomatoes in the next bed, and you rotate them around, different things. Also, too, you can rotate the soil. You can take the soil out of the raised bed, run it through your compost system, put some new, some new uh, soil in it. Not the same one, but you take the old soil, start composting it, run it through your compost system again. But you have, you have some new compost that comes out, and that's the stuff you want to add to your raised bed. And you don't just put raised bed, straight compost in a raised bed. You want to amend it, treat it like a, a big uh, container. So you, do, you add organic uh, potting soil to it to loosen it up and bring the pH to, to bear. pH is another issue, which I, I will just take a quick note here. All right, pH. <laughs> uh, so... You, you can rotate the soil. That means you take everything out, put something in. You let it uh, cook up, let it let it uh, mellow, and you can start growing in it. Another thing you could do to um, in a raised bed that you that you can also do in the ground, but it's much more effective in in a raised bed is to do a green cover crop. That would be where you grow something uh, that you let it grow, and then you turn it over and you let it decompose in the soil. Uh, so there are, uh, so the last thing you want to do is you don't, you know, if you have the tomato, say you have diseased tomato in a raised bed or in the ground, the last thing you want to do is cut them up and turn them over in the ground because you'll be spreading more of the disease. But if you were, if you had a disease in, in the ground, in your raised bed and you wanted to, uh, to grow something, there are lots of different things you can grow in there that they, then you can then turn it over. Like you can grow alfalfa, you can grow mung beans, you can grow uh, sunflowers, small sunflowers. You can grow any any kind of cover crop. You can grow uh, uh, peanuts. You can grow all kinds of things that you can then turn over. Clover that you can turn over and let it. And what I would do is turn it over, add some horse manure, animal manure, turn it all over, uh, add some compost to it, turn it over, cover it with a plastic bag. And that's an, that's an, and then let it you know cook and let it mellow down before you use it. Uh, one of the things you can do with a raised bed is to cover the whole thing with a plastic bag and solarize it. I mean, you should leave it like that for about a month. It will cook up and kill bad bacteria. It won't get uh, hot enough to kill the good bacteria. Now, I don't mean a uh, plastic bag. I mean you know get a sheet of plastic, you can buy it by the roll, which will cover the. Uh, the raised bed, or even can put that on the ground too, but I I don't recommend that so much uh, because it doesn't really entirely work out as well. It doesn't you don't entirely eliminate them because uh, you really have to rotate the soil to get exposure and and the, the deep inside of the bed they'll they'll survive. So what you want to do, is, what I do is to 
learn about the pH of the soil. Pay attention to that. Pay attention to the health of your soil because that's really the key to it. So that way you won't get the disease in the first place. Also, too, you know, you, you got to be careful when you buy plants. If you go to the nursery and you buy plants there, you're going to be bringing the disease in the soil to the plants. That's, that's another good reason not to, you know, if you're going to be buying plants, to buy only organic seeds and organic plants, or even better, to grow your own from organic seeds, right? Then you know you have control of the soil. You see what I'm saying? So, uh, <clears throat> not, so you have the, um, so the, using your raised beds is one of the best ways to, to do that. You can rotate your, your plants. You can rotate the soil. You can't sanitize the soil. Uh, and it says, you know, part, the other part of your question is how, um, how do you sanitize soil to remove any seeds or fungus? I have very, we have very cold winter here, so I assume we kill anything living in the soil. Is that correct? No. Let's just, just go into hybrid, hibernation until it gets warm enough and they'll come right back again. So as I said before, you know, you can sanitize the soil, especially if it's in a raised bed by, uh, the methods I explained, which would be you can cover it with a plastic uh, tarp, so to speak, so the sun shines through it. Not the black kind, the clear kind, so the sun shines through it, solarize it. But then you got to turn the soil over regularly to expose all aspects of it, right? Uh, you can um, uh, rotate the soil, take the soil out, run it through your compost system. That will sanitize it right there. By sanitizing, it means just killing off the bad bacteria by introducing more good bacteria. Uh, you can uh, take the soil out and, you know, compost it. And, and when you do that, you want to add new compost, new soil to it. So uh, be careful what soil you add. Uh, so, you you know, you can add, make sure you add organic potting mix to your compost. Part of the scenario, too, part of the problem is, is that most people, when they make their compost, they don't make their compost correct so that it doesn't get hot enough. It should be at least 170 degrees Fahrenheit, maybe 180, 190 degrees Fahrenheit to, to kill off the bad bacteria. So if your compost is not heating correctly, you should going to be passing the bacteria back again. You know, so uh, in terms of sanitizing for a disease and fungus, you know, uh, if you're doing in the ground and you can't, you know, rotate the soil and stuff like that, uh, one of the best ways is to get raw manure, by raw I mean as fresh as possible, horse manure, cow manure, road rototilt that into the soil and then cover it with a, a, a black uh, plastic to allow, allow it to finish cooking and give it a couple of months time that will kill the bacteria the, the, that was sanitized by introducing all the good bacteria and then when you're ready to grow you can, have to, you can amend it by adding compost and turn the soil over and get it back in shape again uh, there are lots of different things you can spray but I don't recommend them because they don't really last that long and they do more damage uh, than good and so the cold, remember, the cold doesn't do it. So you want to be able to uh, use some one of these systems uh, that I have explained to you. It, I'm assuming that you're not using a raised bed uh, because um, you I think you would have mentioned that you were using a raised bed, right? <laughs> so I'm assuming you're not. So I would, you know, actually convert to to using a raised bed if you if you. So if you don't don't have a raised bed. And you, I would look at the ground and actually put a raised bed or two in that same place. So you can grow seven times more food, have more control of the soil, more control of diseases in the soil, stuff like that. Okay? So I hope this helps you. Uh, and um, uh, if you, uh, by sending email to me with question, uh, question uh, and a subject in the email saying contest, question, contest, uh, you get entered into our monthly contest. So, uh, David, I think is his name, David, uh, will be entered into our monthly contest. The winner of this month will get an Invisible Gardener's Growers Kit, which has, uh, five pounds of, uh, Invisible Gardener's Super C, no, five pounds of Invisible Gardener's Rock Dust Blend. And you're going to get a quart of the Super Seaweed, uh, my microbiological activator. Uh, just to t talk a little bit about what we're talking about diseases is, is that remember all diseases are soil-borne diseases, but and and also really depends upon the pH of the soil because of certain bacteria that eat that live in that pH. And if that bacteria is missing, it will be it will get uh, mineral deficient. And also, what will happen if that bacteria is missing? Some other type of bacteria will come and take its place, which is the fungus among us. 
And so uh, the fungus is not set up to be providing nutrition to the plants. They're on their own, uh, whereas there are other bacteria that that's actually what they do. So it comes back down to a trace meal deficiency. So when you have a, a fungus on your plant, a disease, again, you don't mention what type of diseases or many different types of diseases. Uh, all of them can be cured by, a, uh, first of all, paying attention to the health of the soil. Secondly, by paying attention to the health of the plant. Uh, understand what BRICS levels means. The higher the BRICS, the less the disease, the less the pest. Okay, so there's a reason f uh, for, for that. And so you want to uh, increase the mineral levels of your plants. You do that through foliar application, which are instant. They will absorb it right away. You can also knock out most diseases by increasing the calcium level of the plants. You'll find most calcium are not, um, most plants don't, are are de that have fungus are deficient in calcium. So milk is a great deterrent for diseases. Cup of milk, gallon of water will help. Uh, but you also really want to try to have increase all the other nutrients. Uh, I myself, that's why I invented Super Seaweed in 1956 to provide all the minerals. So that's what Super Seaweed does. It's a blend of different kinds of seaweed and all kinds of stuff from all around the world. <laughs> and you spray that. It provides all the minerals, raises the bricks, knocks out the, the fungus. Uh, and you have to spray it regularly. Because remember, the, the fungus travels from the soil. So the other thing that I would uh, suggest in terms of controlling the fungus among us, rock dust, compost, and mulch. So if you, you should apply a layer of rock dust once or twice a year. You should apply compost on a regular basis two or three times a year. It depends whether it's a garden, a vegetable garden. You do it quarterly. Uh, you also want to apply an acid mulch. So... I would say if you have the disease, more than likely the pH is off. By doing this and applying an acid mulch, the acid mulch will help to control the disease uh, by reducing the pH down, and the acidic mulch itself can be made into a tea and sprayed. So if you use, like, for example, Zeta Gardenia mix, make a tea out of that and spray it, that would also help to control the disease. Okay, so uh, today we have a couple of things we're talking about. The first thing is we have a fungus problem. Fungus problem. So I've gotten quite a few emails from folks all having the same problem. A fungus, I, I say a fungus among us. So there's a fungus and on there fill in the plants. Some people have funguses on their squashes. Some people have funguses on their tomato plants. And quite a few people seem to have a fungus on their oak tree. So let's go over uh, why plants have funguses in the first place. I mean, it's, it's another thing to, you know, there are different names of different types of funguses. and We all know that. But the treatment is all going to be the same. So I'm going to go over to you why they have fungus in the first place so you understand, and then we can work from there. So the bacteria... So all bacteria have a purpose in life, okay? So they take advantage of the situations that are provided for them, and they take their best opportunity to thrive. So all bacteria need a host that is weak enough for them to invade and use that host sources as their own, okay? So the funguses require the host to be deficient in trace minerals. So all throughout my, I was going to say throughout my life, but all throughout my last um Quite a few years now, but basically through all this show that we've been doing and, and the column that I'm writing and everything, I talk about the bricks levels. I talk about the greater the higher the bricks level, the higher the mineral levels. 
and why how the mineral levels affect how insects see the plants whether it's a food source for them or not and basically uh, insects have evolved into a system of being able to tell when a plant is low in minerals and, you know, it's not like the plant, the insect is going, oh, well, that plant's low in minerals, so it'd be food for me. It looks at it and goes, wow, that's a food source. For whatever reason, it's a good food source, see? And so, what happens is, is that when a plant is low on minerals, it's also high on simple carbohydrates. So, the higher the mineral levels, the higher the bricks level. There's an order to it. Let me see if I get it straight. So, the way it works is that, uh, so that's how I tell people, the higher the bricks, the higher the minerals. So it's really the other way around. It's really the higher the minerals. <laughs> so the more minerals you have, assortment of minerals, because you need assortment of one mineral, two minerals is not enough. There's 76 different trace minerals your body, your body but plants need. So the higher the, 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 the trace minerals, the higher the level of the trace minerals, the higher would that bricks level would be. And also, corp also, too, in relation to the higher bricks level, of course, the higher the bricks level, the higher the sugar levels are. See, and when we talk about sugar, we're talking about carbohydrates. There are different types of carbohydrates, simple carbohydrates and complex carbohydrates. So the way it works is that it, there's a chain reaction. It's all They're all correlated together. But I'm just trying to explain to you the, the process of the way it works because it's not like you have, you're not like you, you see, in order to say high bricks level, right? So if a plant, for in order for a plant to get to the high bricks level, which is a result you want, high bricks level, you, there are certain things you have to do to raise the high brick, the bricks, the bricks level. Okay. So one of them is to increase the mineral levels of the plants. How do you do that, right? So it goes back. So what we're talking about is that the the higher the bricks, the higher the mineral levels will also be. The higher and, and the higher would be the co complex carbohydrate level. Okay, so the uh, insects can digest simple carbohydrates. They're not so good at digesting complex carbohydrates. So if you were to, uh, that's why it comes. That's why I always tell people: the greater the stress, the greater the pest or the disease would be. Same thing with humans, but with plants. Another way, another way of saying is, another way I say it is that if it's food for the insects, it's not food for us. So if it's food for the insects, means has that it's high in simple carbohydrates, which is not what we want. We want it high in minerals, high in simple high carbohydrates, low in minerals. We want it high in minerals and low in simple carbohydrates and high in complex carbohydrates. So when it's food for us, it means that it's high in minerals, bugs don't like it. Food for them means it's low in minerals, they love, it, they love it. And the bugs are the second cause of disease spreading. Humans are first, <laughs> believe it or not. Humans spread disease all over the place, not just diseases for humans, but plants, plant diseases as well. The insects do a lot, uh, do a lot of spreading also. Probably they're number one, but I just emphasizing what humans do. Okay, so so humans love to give plants high nitrogen. Okay, so high nitrogen is bad for the plants. Why? Okay, so high nitrogen um, interferes with the absorption of trace minerals in plants. Simple, okay. So I was at, I was I sprayed a property the other day, and the customer called me up the very next day saying she did not see any immediate results. So I told her first off, when you first start to take a vitamin pill, you would not get immediate results either, and also you also need to get a good meal, as vitamin pills were never meant to take the place of proper eating habits, and that's also true for the garden. So. As with humans, the higher the stress, the greater the pest of disease would be. So it's as simple as that. And so the high nitrogen will cause a lot of stress to the plants. It causes them to rapidly grow at the expense of the uptake of minerals. It's a fact that, it's, that high nitrogen stops plants from absorbing trace minerals. So instead of stop plants, let's say it interferes with the absorption of trace minerals. 
Yeah, you get some trace metals absorptions, but not as uh, much as if the high nitrogen wasn't there. So the rapid growth of the plants produces a wide variety of, of effects. Especially, uh, so not only does it interfere with the absorption of minerals, but it interferes with the absorption of several of the important ones that are needed and controlling of the funguses, which is calcium and a wide variety, a variety of other exotic trace minerals. Okay, they're called trace minerals because they need to be in low trace minerals. So, bug funguses love plants that are that have been fed high nitrogen and that are weak in and low in trace minerals. So that's how the bacteria has learned to to evolve when it's time, because that's basically the right time for the fungus to to get to to spread. And so, uh, so it's important to uh, to uh, to understand that relationship, which is what I try to get across to people, is that, and there are other other factors too that can that will determine funguses on the plant. Genetics is one of them. You have cultural, and you have genetics. Cultural being, of course, what you're doing to the soil. The health of the soil is very important since diseases start in the soil. Uh, if it's not there, it ain't going to spread to your plant. <laughs> the good guys and the bad guys don't live in the same place, you know, all that stuff. And so the soil, what you do to the soil, how do you use compost, how you remineralize the soil, uh, you know, because you do have to put what you, you get out what you put in. So the one uh, customer, uh, I read somewhere, a person said that she was giving a compost workshop, talking about, uh, you know, the microbes in the soil and all that stuff and how to make compost. And uh, one person asked well, about rock dust. Don't you, shouldn't you be adding rock dust to the compost so you can have minerals? And the lady said, no, the minerals are already in the soil. I wasn't there to uh, uh, I, I, to talk to the lady because I would have said, well, what happened? What about soil depletion? Because you do take it out and you do have to put it back in again. And that's what rock dust comes in. So you want to add, you want to add rock dust to your, to your, your soil uh, production. So that's cultural. You want to increase the minerals as well as the bacterial. Uh, and if you don't do that, and if you have dead soil, right, and you have weak plants because the plants come from genetically inferior seeds, you want to always grow from the best organic heirloom seeds you can grow, right? Otherwise, they will be genetically inferior and they, and they will depend on pesticides and fungicides to, to control them because they don't have the natural system there to help them. Okay, so, uh, and the same thing with the tree, okay, so the trees are a little bit different. So the bottom line is if you have a plant or tree that has a fungus, you have a stressed out plant and you need to find the stress. Remove the stress and then proceed to solve the problem, okay. So with a tree, like an oak tree, these oak trees were getting overwatered. Or they usually have something else that causes them to get stressed out. Figure out what that is. Usually, is they're not getting their minerals that they're getting, so they're getting stressed out from not getting the source the minerals that they normally would get. Figure out how to wait. What's wrong with that system? And give them the minerals they need. Whether or not you you provided the rock dust, you put it in the compost. Mother Nature, you're Mother Nature. We are Mother Nature. We have to give them the, the things that they're they're used to getting through normal process. When animals come and die, the bones fall apart, the poo-poo provides bacteria and the minerals. Those things are not happening anymore. We need to do that. So, um, with the trees, you have to pay attention to what you're feeding or in case, in, certain case, in this case, what you're not feeding. So that's an important aspect of fungus control is that weak plants, fungus. Healthy plants, no fungus. You have to control watering, overhead watering. You know, you know. So if you have high heat, usually what's going on, what's going on now is that you're getting high heat and people are watering a lot, and they, they, that's also a perfect condition for fungus. There are many natural things that you can use for for fungus control. Okay, so um, some of them, uh, most of them, you know, uh, you you should learn uh, the process of doing it. They're not that easy to do. Uh, a lot of them aren't because you have to, you know, overdo it. So one of the easiest ways is to learn to use compost tea. 
Compost tea works great as long as you make the compost property. Again, if your compost does not have the trace minerals in it, the compost tea won't be as effective. It's organic! The way that nature intended it. Don't panic! Don't panic! It's organic! The way that nature intended it. <laughs>